do in a new year, January 2017. 2017. This is Greg Duncan. Angela. Angela, it's that's your turn. I'm sorry. I, I was looking at the old list that had still had Gordon on it. That's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> this is Angela Dugan. This is Josh Garver. And this is Martin Woodward. Hey, everybody. How you doing? It's good to be back. Happy New Year. Martin, we actually coexist in the same audio space this time. I know. This is, this is like the first time it's happened. <clears throat> so uh, you can tell me from, from the guy that sounds a little bit like, you know, Johnny Ive, I like to say, or James Bond or something. Not really stupid English guy, but there we go. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's, a, the, it's really great what you've been doing with the show, guys, while I've been away. It's, it's a very, it's cool. I've been enjoying listening to them. So it's nice to actually be back on again. Thanks for having me. Good. And Angela. You've joined us. I know. First time you can, as a as a, an official host. You can stop talking about me and just talk to me. It's nice, right? <laughs> I don't know. Talking about you is kind of fun. So, um, and I think everybody's actually here because of our guest today. Uh, I was really excited when he accepted the invitation to be on the show. Donovan Brown is going to be joining us. <sighs> Yay! <laughs> Thanks for having me. Sure, uh, Donovan is a principal program manager for DevOps in the developer division at Microsoft, focusing on developer tools, including Visual Studio Team Services and Team Foundation Server. Before joining Microsoft, Donovan spent seven years as a process consultant and certified Scrum Master. Donovan has traveled the globe, helping companies in the U.S., Canada, India, and the U.K. develop solutions using agile practices in industries including communications, healthcare, energy, and financial services. Donovan also runs one of the nation's fastest-growing online registration sites for motorsports events, dlbracing.com. When he's not writing software, he races cars for fun. How cool is that? <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, D DLB Racing gives him the opportunity to combine his two passions, writing software and racing cars. Donovan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad that uh, you guys reached out. I'm glad to be here. So what did you race, Donovan? I didn't know that. Yeah, I have a 97 M3, completely gutted. It only comes out on Sundays. We took it out uh, last Sunday. It was pretty cool because I've been traveling so much. It's been nine months since the car had uh, been to the track, and I still made top time a day for like three and a half hours before uh, the second heat started. So it was a little rusty, but still quite quick. Wow, and if you've ever um, been in the car with Brian Randall in his M3, or uh, <laughs> indeed Beth Massey in her, <laughs> she drives you. If, if uh, yeah, everybody I work with seems to be insane at driving. This is great. <laughs> as long as you I keep it to the track, though, Donovan. That's yeah, it's the safest place to do it. Absolutely, <laughs> it's all sanctioned helmets. It's, it's all a good time. Cool, that's awesome. I didn't know about that at all. Brilliant. Cool. So we're going to do some news stories real quick first. Um, we're going to try to go through these really quick so we can focus on Donovan and stuff. But there is some news that we want to talk about. Uh, Josh, do you have anything? As a matter of fact, I do. Uh, Brian Harry just recently posted the VS Team Services update uh, on January 6th. And this has scads and scads of, of updates as uh, update cycle 110 was, was kind of held off due to the holidays. So we've got kind of a, a twofer going on. This is featuring a lot of good stuff around the new account experience. So uh, being able to turn on and off preview features, uh, using the new account landing page, it kind of itemizes uh, the ways that you can categorize your favorites, your work, and everything like that. There's also a lot of good stuff in here around pull request experience. So you can atta put attachments in pull requests. You can actually highlight pull requests that have updates, put branch policies for PRs 
uh, you can deal with the merge strategy in a bit more efficient manner. So you can actually specify that when you're doing these uh, pull request merges, you can squash changes or just using a, a no fast forward merge, which is kind of helpful. Um, you can also expose merge conflict information. Uh, another big thing, and I know that this will be, uh, you'll hear hearts breaking from coast to coast on this one, team room deprecation. Um, what? Yeah, it is It is no more. So any, was any was anybody actually using team rooms out of the, <laughs> the year? Hence the oh, irony of the breaking hearts. Yeah. Okay. yeah no. That's fine. Then. Well, well, I mean, you know, obviously, they're sorry. If, they're, I guess the team are sorry if uh, if you were. I and mean, you don't like to laugh at these things because there's bound to be at least, you know, somebody in the audience that definitely was and thought it was a great feature and was using oh, it all the sure. time. And it was a great feature. But, you know, Microsoft Teams is pretty awesome too. So, Correct. Absolutely. So links in the show notes and there's a ton more information in there, but those are kind of the highlights. Very good. Uh, Angela, your turn. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually uh, ran across a really good article on upgrading Team Foundation Server. Now, this is something I, I do a lot as a consultant, so it's always interesting to see what kind of new things they add. So um, th- there's an article that there'll be a link to the show um, from uh, Robert Bernstein. I wanted to make sure I got his name right, uh, where he talks about kind of the overall look and feel and some of the new stuff and and some of the, the gotchas he calls out, which which I love because these are the things you, you don't want to discover in the middle of doing the upgrade, <laughs> right? <laughs> Is that you, you have to be at least at TFS 20 or 2012 RTM to go directly to 2012, which which that's certainly a big thing to know. But the other big gotcha, the thing that I think uh, a lot of customers need to make sure they're thinking about is that um, it does require SQL 2016. So if that's mm. not something that's already approved in, in your organization, that could be a stumbling block. So that was a that was a big one. So it's, it's great that he calls that out. And that's something that got me really excited uh, is there's actually a new option when you upgrade. So before, right, you could always do in-place and migration-based upgrades. That hasn't changed, but they've added a new option so that when you're upgrading, you can do kind of a quote-unquote production upgrade. But then there's the thing that most of us consultants like to do anyway, which is do a test upgrade in a non-production environment. So you're not surprised by anything like issues with process template customizations or any kind of weird security things. They've actually added an option that walks you through a pre-production upgrade scenario. So it takes care of some of the stuff that that we kind of had to do already. So making sure you're using the, the right service account so you're not kind of bumping into prod, changing some database strings so you don't have any kind of polluting of data. Um, so I was really excited to see that. So I think that's something that's going to make people happy who have an upcoming upgrade to, to 2017. That's very cool. Does it do all that like GUID flipping that we always had to remember to do? And if you forgot, you could like, be talking to production when you didn't realize it. And yeah, yeah. So it's, it's taken care of a lot of that stuff that we always like, you know, we'd go through the TFS Ranger guidance, which was awesome, but it would yeah. have all those manual steps and you had to make sure you did all of that or you could you could find yourself in a world of hurt <laughs> if you forgot to change just one thing. Um, so having all that stuff be kind of automated for you is, is, a, is a really nice option. It's just, you know, I, I would say it's one less thing for us to worry about during the upgrade, but it's like more like 10 things we don't have to worry about during the upgrade. So definitely a good article to, to check out if, you know, if you're going to be upgrading or if you're a consultant who does upgrades, check it out. Make sure you kind of go go through it and get your checklist ready for when you're doing your next upgrade. Just quickly on that, Andrew, as well, when you're doing the upgrades, 
what is the is it the database that's usually the biggest blocker for you getting a getting the new database version or what what is it that usually goes wrong you know honestly it 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 depends on where i go and i know that's such a consulting mm. answer but some of the larger organizations where getting hardware is can be a challenge sometimes just right. getting the hardware for the kind of pre-production upgrade can be hard mm-hmm. um, sometimes it's security right like if i if i'm new to the organization walking in and saying hey listen i'm going to need admin rights on all these databases i'm going to need access to all the service accounts starts making some people sweat so those are things that i always say if you're if you're going to go in and do that upgrade kind of go through the checklist make sure you understand what are your minimum operating systems minimum sql server what are the rights you need and get that stuff kind of communicated ahead of time so you're not having those fights while you're trying to do the upgrade very that cool whole, yeah that whole segment makes me love visual studio team services that much more oh <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> right. so I, I, I mean i was a consultant um, before i joined microsoft and i know the upgrade hell that you can go through and team services is like this, i I, I forget how to do all that stuff. I couldn't probably do an upgrade now to save my life because I haven't done one since I went to team services, which is so Yeah, beautiful. you have people that do that for you now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have people for that, right? Exactly. I do have one correction, though, on that. Okay. The actual minimum version is twenty uh, SQL Server 2014. Oh. So... But if you're gonna do, if you're gonna go through through the jump of doing an upgrade, you might as well try and get as far ahead as you can, so that you might be able to do the next upgraded TFS without having to do a database upgrade and things like that. You know, right? Correct, correct. But what what one of the challenges is that um, SQL Server 2016 will not install on Windows Server 2008 R2. Uh, you can if you're and that server configuration is still supported and we'll have a link in the show notes uh, for these we've talked about oh. these quite a bit but um yeah so on that machine you can only upgrade it to 2014 but i agree with you and that's why our internal we're spinning up a new box and putting everything on it you know latest and greatest uh Great. so just a quick one can one. i yeah can i jump in with one like completely from self interest well, it, uh, no. it's kind of related because <laughs> you had him on the show. Uh, so um, yep. we talked about it was two, a couple of shows back, I think. Is one one just before I listened to it just before Christmas um, about Cake, um, mm-hmm. which is you know it's a, a build language um, in C, C sharp. Sorry, whatever I'm talking about. Um, and so um, the Cake guys have been doing just uh, you know they're part of the .NET Foundation, but they're doing an amazing job building up that project and doing new releases and really engaging with their community and and you know improving the product and taking it in new and new directions. It's great to see. And they've just, uh, Gary uh, Park announced that um, they've just done a quarter of a million downloads. So woohoo to the cake, guys. You know, it's, we've been doing really well and well done to that community. And if you haven't had a look at it, check it out. It's one of those, it's a, you know, MS Build's got its uses, but also doing some complex build orchestration in um, C Sharp has, has got definitely some some uh, some pros to it. So take a look. So we've talked about, uh, I think Josh, you made fun of me when I mentioned it, that Azure Functions, you know, so you can build the whole server Azure Functions are awesome. I, they're amazing. But carry on. Yeah. I won't make fun of you. I agree. Be, well, to be fair, Greg, I made fun of you because you called Amazon Lambdas Amazon Lombadas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, I don't think a show goes by where I don't, you know, mess up something. I, it's an Easter egg. I do it on purpose to find out who's actually listening. Um, but Clemens wrote a great post about how, in uh, the words of our guest, you rub some uh, DevOps on uh, your pipeline, your CI/CD pipeline for serverless release Azure Functions with VSTS. Great post about uh, all the steps on how you do it, examples, uh 
all the CI, CD stuff. It's a great post. If you're looking at that, definitely take a look at it. Fantastic. And there's also um, a great post on the MCN site about um, con- configuring TFS with Jenkins. So Jenkins is always... Jenkins is like a Java build engine, you know, so it's it's very popular with the Java guys, but it's also used by a lot of other people. Again, totally, you know, not here out of self-interest or anything, but uh, my team, um, the .NET team, use Jenkins quite heavily to do all the public .NET uh, builds in, in the open source world because um, they can, you know, uh, VSTS doesn't yet support um, like uh, anonymous access to the build results, but Jenkins does, so they use Jenkins for builds. And it's a really um, good post that goes through and tells you with update three how you can do a new project and configure it to to use Jenkins and set up the you know the web hooks you have to do to get it to go talk to Jenkins and actually trigger a build on um, on commit or on push rather um, or you know push to particular branches that sort of thing. So it's a good post to read through. There's a lot of detail um but yeah take a look and it's it's definitely worth um having a play with for the java guys in the team but also um if you're trying to do some of the crazy things we do now in pre-show donovan you mentioned this and you you mentioned how important the jenkins integration is right Uh, the reason why is because a lot of our customers already have an investment in jenkins because very Mm -hmm. few of our customers only do one type of development so if you have java in your environment chances are you've seen or have been using jenkins and we don't want them to have to throw away that investment when they start moving over to team services or team foundation server and being able to take your output from Jenkins and run it through our pipeline for a deployment that allows you to leverage what you had, but then add to it this value that we offer you from uh, Team Foundation Server and from Team Services. And it also highlights the fact that Team Services is not a monolith. You can use as much or as little of it as you want. And actually, it's interesting hearing about that post because about a year ago, I wrote one very similar where I basically removed our build system and replaced it with Jenkins, but used everything else from Team Services to prove that you're not locked into our our way of thinking, you can use whatever bits and pieces that you want uh, and still stream it all together and use that investment that you already have. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of making sure that our customers can stay in Jenkins if they're already there, but still add the value from Team Foundation Server. We allow you to do that with your source control. For example, you can stay in Subversion and still use the rest of what we offer from Team Foundation Server. You can integrate with Slack. You can integrate with all these other third-party tools so that you don't have to give up what you're already invested in to still take advantage of what we do here at Microsoft. And that, that blew my mind recently because I was I was doing a thing where I was de- wanted to deploy um, it was an, a, um, an ASP.NET Core service into Azure and I was thinking what's the best way of doing CI on this? And I was like you know the easiest way would it be if I could use VSTS and, but, but my code was public on, on GitHub and I was like oh yeah that's no problem so I just Correct. went in and created a team project and Correct. did a, a you know a continuous build and a continuous deployment up to Azure and it was done and it was all and it like literally didn't it you know took me 10 20 minutes to do and it was the first time I'd ever done one it was like wow this is this is cool and it just helps with those adoption scenarios you know um you can build is always a thing that people are frightened of touching because it kind of works and they're not really sure how and so um if this is just one less thing to to have to change when you're trying to introduce you know tfs or or team services into your organization it's it's awesome yeah i think that's a good testament to our new build system as well because yeah You've been able to sit down for the first time and get it working in 20 minutes is 
would be rocket science in our old build system, right? <laughs> you wouldn't have been able to do that that quickly without Angela or my help coming in as a consultant and getting the build system to do what you want. And I tell everybody, if the last time you looked at our build system was 2013, you need to take another look because it is drastically better than it's ever been in the past. And I'm a huge, huge fan of our new build system. I'll put it up I, against anyone. Uh, and yeah, I actually think the um, half of that time was me unlearning all the stuff I had to do. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, is that kind of, so I just like drag and drop these steps and where's the hard cool. part this is good let's go yeah exactly but anyway good good post we'll put it in the show notes awesome so josh we're talking about building a release in the new build packages and the uh, tasks is josh still there i'm still Please. here oh you're still here good yes, waiting for the question. <laughs> so <laughs> so we actually have a, a post here from uh Guri sahoni our friends at net curry about mm. uh, build and release tasks for VSTS that actually allow you to build and release VSTS extensions. Oh, oh. Uh, this is authored underneath the Microsoft Dev Labs moniker, and it goes through the whole article is actually a continuation of a, of a previous article about writing a VSTS extension that uses Azure Functions, which is pretty sweet. Um, this particular article, though, will walk you through what you have to set up in your account to be able to use the extension. Um, and how to specifically get it to connect to the marketplace, how you go about querying the extension version, because uh, anyone who does extension publishing will tell you that you have to increment each version uh, before you can publish it. Before you could do it um, and overwrite, but now you have to increment each time you publish. And you can also, there's also a task in there for sharing the extension, so you can uh, share it with specific accounts, or you can, um, depending on if you're approved for public, uh, you could do that as well. So. That's a very interesting link. I would encourage you to check it out. Cool. So, and if you've created your extension, well, there's if you go ahead. If you've created your extension, there's also Otkarsh uh, has given us a nice little widget that you can plug into the VSTS or TFS dashboards uh, that lets you monitor your extension downloads. And oh that, wow! Very yeah, cool. that comes straight from the marketplace, and it, it's really simple to set up. Um, you just oh, I was hoping it would look like retro, like the old web counters, but it looks really good. This is all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, instead, this looks good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suppose you could skin it with 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 one of those old retro web counters. That would be kind of yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Now, I wonder if he's using build and release tasks for his widget. Oh, that would just be too meta. The... That would. Look... <laughs> <laughs> Angela, we've been kind of ignoring you, haven't we? A little bit, a little bit, but I won't take I won't take offense. That's all right. <laughs> we're we're getting on to the main guest soon, Donovan, right to talk about DevOps. Yep. So that uh, that actually brings me to a an article that that I recently read that I I know we wanted to talk about quickly, which is bridging the DevOps divide, right? So I, I feel like up until now we've been primarily talking about tools, um, and those of us that are that are out doing ALM consulting or whoever have, right? I know Donovan had this experience uh, before and probably still now, which is that you know, it, DevOps is part of the culture, right? And, and this article talks about how, um, you know, you can't do DevOps until you have a DevOps culture, but having a DevOps culture sometimes gets helped by starting to do DevOps. So it's kind of like this <laughs> chicken in the egg thing. And, and honestly, like, you know, we, I spend a lot of time as a consultant talking to customers, trying to help them figure out why, why they feel like they're stalled in maturing their processes and their practices. 
Um, and, and a lot of times it's it's not necessarily tooling. Tooling can help get things done more efficiently, um, but a lot of it does come down to how well the teams collaborate. And I can't tell you how many times I would, I'd have what I thought was the entire software team in the room talking to me and then operations questions come up and they're like, oh, well, those guys aren't here. Like they're in a totally different part of the organization, in a different building, they use different processes. And, and essentially the article is talking about how that that can make it very difficult to kind of start to move towards having a, you know, kind of a truly good culture that embraces DevOps, right? If people are kind of living in silos um, and if they're not incentivized to work together, right? They need to have a structure that actually supports that. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting article to kind of make people think because I think sometimes people do forget that, hey, the operations guys, they, they are an integral part of this team. And it doesn't matter how fast we get things done, if we can't get it out the door because they're not part of the team, um, we're, we're ultimately going to fail. So I thought that was a really, really good article by Tony Davis. Nice. Uh, so we have Donovan on, and we can't have him on without talking about some of his recent posts and some of his recent projects. First, there was Yo DSTS. Right. Then there was Yo TFS. And now there's just Yo Team. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I was trying to do was figure out a way so Martin wouldn't have to spend 20 minutes. He would only spend two minutes. And that's what <laughs> Yo VSTS was. It was literally you answer five questions, and I built your entire CI CD pipeline into Azure for you. Uh, because we have it, and I already had Yeoman installed. This is very yes, yes, you could have literally just downloaded it, and it, I would have built oh. the entire pipeline for you. I would even, <laughs> I would have even given you the sample application, uh, so that you literally all you have to do is type YoVSTS and then type um, what is it? Git push, and then yeah. that sample app will end up in Azure. Yeah, it, it's ridiculously easy. And then when I wrote YoVSTS for, uh, I was going to New Zealand to do a demo there, uh, and. It was very popular. Demo went over really well. People loved it. I, I let them vote on what language I was going to do, and it was all really theatrical. And even though I had this little tool in my back pocket that meant no matter what you vote on, I know I'm going to be able to do it. Um, and, but then people like saying, Donovan, we're still on-prem. All right, so what's the deal? Why why are you guys only focusing on VSTS? TFS is still uh, viable. We A lot of people still use it. I was like, all right, it, it shouldn't be that hard. All I have to do is change a few of the REST API signatures because they're slightly different. The instance uh, is a little different because you have to deal with the collections that might not be default collection and things like that. Uh, so I, The classic lines that, that begin a lost weekend. Oh, exactly, right. Well, luckily, <laughs> luckily for me, I was already in Europe, and I had a big 14-hour flight coming home. So that's when nice. I did, right? So I got on a plane, and I had installed an instance of TFS 2017 in a VM so I could work disconnected. Uh, and I just started banging out the code and I kind of started over again. And what was really interesting is that Yo TFS was so much better because when you do something for the second time, you don't make the mistakes. You, you learn from all the mistakes that you made before. And I, and I decoupled it a little further. I decomposed it into more sub generators. Uh, you could do things like just add a pipeline and not have to run the entire tool again. So if you already had existing code and existing project, because the tool wanted to produce that for you, now you could just say, you know what? All I want is a pipeline and I want it to go to Docker. And this is okay. I'd ask you just those questions, jump into your existing project and just go add the parts that were missing. So it was just so much better. And then I sat down and said, okay, now I need to port all this cool stuff back into VSTS. And that's when I noticed that, oh my God, the majority of this is similar and a couple if statements and I can do both in one. And that's why YoTFS came out and a week later I was deprecating it. I was like, all right, guys, that's garbage. <laughs> Yo team is what you want because now I can target both at the exact same time with just one tool set. Um, and that's what, how Yo team came about. Very cool. So, you know, I've asked this on the show a lot um, and, and we've been talking about it a lot, uh, DevOps. Uh, it's it's not something you buy. No. 
right? No, you, you don't. You don't buy it off the shelf. Um, it, DevOps is. Uh, I, I defined it for Microsoft, which I feel I'm very proud of because we've been running with it pretty aggressively. And if you go to VisualStudio.com, whack DevOps, that definition is the one that that I crafted about a year and a half ago now. Maybe uh, it took me 30 days. I always tell the story. It took me 30 days to write that sentence because when my manager came and asked me to do it, I took it extremely seriously. I mean, I'm going to be representing Microsoft. This has to be. Uh, really something that can stand the test of time and can can take criticism, right? Because people are going to be attacking this definition for a long time. And so I sat down 30 days later, I came up with a sentence that says that DevOps is the union of people, process and products to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. And to me, that is the essence of all of it. It, it takes three things to come together. Like, like Angela just said, it's the culture, which I defined as the people. You have to have the people on board that believe that this is the right thing to do, because if the people don't believe it doesn't matter how many tools I sell you doesn't matter what process you use. You're going to fail if the people don't believe. Once the people believe, you need to give them a process which they can then follow to be able to be successful with DevOps. And then the products, which is what we produce at Microsoft, are going to make that effortless for you. It's going to make it so easy. So it was the union of all of those. And what are why are we doing this? It's to continuously deliver value to our end users. That's why we all write software. I don't care if it's mobile. I don't care if it's Docker. It could be web-based. It could be whatever type of software you're writing. You want to continuously deliver value to your end users, which is what we do with Visual Studio Team Services every three weeks. That's what we do. And we internalize that here at Microsoft. And we produce products that we use ourselves that we can then give to our, our customers to make them be able to do the same thing as well. So when I want to go have a discussion about DevOps with someone, I first say that sentence and say, regardless of what you've heard before, or even if you agree <laughs> or don't agree, this is what I mean when I say it today while you and I have this conversation. It's better than the old definition of, of ALM I used to use, which is it's whatever the vendor is trying to sell you at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and DevOps had that too, right? Because if, yeah. you, or like, if you look at a monitoring company that only does monitoring, they tried their best to convince you that monitoring was DevOps. That was it, right? Mm. You didn't need anything else. And, and if all they did was continue delivery, then that's what they tried to convince you it was. But to me, DevOps starts with the idea that you want to turn into a working piece of software. It does not end until you are monitoring that idea in production, because that's how I know if I actually delivered value. You can't just randomly copy files to a server. You need to now monitor the activity of that application and say, did we deliver value or did we just put functions out there or features out there that no one is using? Because that's not value. And to me, you're still failing. Yeah. And of course, people being emphasized. So, you know, up front, it's all yep. about the people. And, it is. And, and that's uh, the you know. hardest part to fix. It is mm -hmm. the hardest part. I think I, I, I need to find the exact quote that Jeffrey said, but I, I paraphrase it to where Jeffrey said, just Jeffrey Snover, that the biggest deterrent to de accepting or adopting DevOps is success. And what he means by that is if that if you become number one in your industry doing waterfall and you're number one by a large margin, and then someone comes in and says, you need to do it differently. They're like, yeah, right. Right. We're winning. <laughs> Why would we change a winning formula if we're winning already? And what they failed to realize is that your competition, they're not doing it the way that you do it. And they're going to catch you in record time. And by the time they pass you, they will be moving so fast, you simply will not be able to catch up doing it the way that you're doing it today. But I understand that hesitation to change. We all hate change. And especially if I'm winning, it's really hard for you to convince me to change. But you better change because Uber wrecked shop when it came into the transportation industry, right? And Amazon did the same thing in retail. And there's 
numerous examples of companies who started to think differently and do things differently and just completely disrupted an industry. And those other people are still trying to play catch up today. If people haven't read recently The Innovator's Dilemma, it's one of those books that you always kind of say you've read because you've seen the title and you figure, well, I kind of know what that's about. But right. you should actually read it because and, and, uh, the whole recognizing disruptive technologies and then understanding ways and techniques to deal with them is, is vital to success. And that's one of the, you know, like at Microsoft, we should be forced to, anybody who's got a manager in their title should be forced to read The Innovator's Dilemma like once a year, you know, with standards of business conduct training. <laughs> it's, it's so essential to keep an eye out for those disruptions. And, um, and, and your competition is always doing, is solving the problem differently to you, is always doing it differently to you. And you need to uh, understand when, you know, different isn't always better, but sometimes different is better. And you've got to understand what good things that they're doing and how you can m- merge that with your juju and, you know, make it all work. So, no, it's great. I like it. It was a good definition. How many how many characters are in there? How many characters per day? Did, have you worked that out? <laughs> no, I just I remember there's a few people from my past, like uh, Dave McKinstry is another one, someone I trust yeah, very yeah. dearly, and yeah. he and I went back and forth, and he helped me change a couple words and tweak a couple words, and I'd sit on it and I'd come back to it, and then I I took the word customer out and I put in end user instead because not everyone who writes software writes software that's for a public facing website. You might be writing some back office software for your organization. That is still very important that you have this DevOps mentality, not just for what your customers see, but what any end user is going to see and to get that feedback and to monitor their usage. So, I mean, we literally tweaked every word in there from customers. We went back to end users from uh, software. I went to value because we talk about DevOps. And I think a lot of us kind of overemphasize the dev part of the DevOps conversation and don't realize that value can be delivered even by the operations team with no change to your application at all. So you need to make sure that we give them both their their due justice and value can be delivered by upgrading my infrastructure or scaling it out or scaling it up without changing a single line of my application. So it's value that we're trying to deliver, not software, so that we can make sure we're focusing on the team, and not just the developer. So, so Donovan, I have a I have a question for you. So, as a sure. as a principal program manager at Microsoft, right? You you definitely need to be forward looking as well. So, we've we've talked a lot about kind of where we started, kind of where DevOps has gone in the last couple of years. Like for you personally, like where what are you thinking about when you kind of think about like what's going to be happening in this space over the next year or two? What what I hope happens to DevOps is the same thing that happened to continuous integration. I remember when continuous integration was bleeding edge. I literally remember working at Compaq and setting up a CI server was a week-long endeavor of research and buying the software and getting it all built up and getting the make files just right. It was a nightmare to set up a continuous integration. And a lot of companies didn't do it because of that. And now it's a checkbox. It literally has been demoted to, you check that box and all that nightmare from decades ago just automatically happens for you. I want DevOps to go the exact same way. I want it to be something we used to talk about. I want things like YoTFS and YoVSTS to make it so freaking easy to do that we just assume everyone's doing it. It's just part of what you do every day and we don't talk about it anymore and we're off talking about something else. So that's what I hope the future of DevOps is, is that we just simply don't talk about it anymore. It's something that we assume that you have, almost like source control. I mean, I'm, I bet, Angela, you find places who still don't have continuous integration. But they, oh, absolutely. They, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they have source control, right? right. Source control is generally, it's like, it's a given. I want DevOps to be like that. 
Hey, I'm so old, I remember when source control was like the whiz bagging thing, you know? Absolutely, right? Remember, we used to have folders, and you would just copy the files and change the date of the folder. (laughs) I'm older older than I look. I'm older than I look. So I remember those days, too, right? I I have slide decks on my... Yeah, exactly. I have slide decks on my machine. (laughs) will say source control is not taking a zip and read and of a different name (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly and that's what i'm hoping it is right but you look at things like uh immutable infrastructure we have a lot of things like um that are coming out that are changing the way that devops is, is is actually going to mature over time so i'm i'm looking at rubbing devops on everything that i can get my hands on right so we're i'm doing a session on bots at tr uh, which is our internal conference on how we're going to rub devops on bots how we're going to rub devops on sharepoint how we do it with docker containers i find any technology i can get my hands on and say okay how do i continuously deliver value with this new technology and i'm really interested to read the the article that you mentioned about the functions because i got challenged on that on on Twitter, and I just haven't had a chance to go back in and and write something down. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm simply going to post tweet that that URL to them and say, okay, someone's already taken the time to figure this out. But I believe, as I said earlier, no matter what type of software you're writing, this DevOps mentality of continuously delivering value applies. And I just want to make sure that Visual Studio Team Services and TFS enable that for no matter what type of development you're doing. I say it on stage all the time: any language, any platform, and that's what I'm here to help people do. Now, Donovan, I have I'm going totally off the rails here asking this question on it. Do you do DevOps at home? I do. I do. DLBRacing.com is deployed using the exact same stuff I preach on stage. Absolutely. No, no. At home. At home, home. Oh. You know, with wife and kids or significant <laughs> others and, you know. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Do I actually do that? I don't know. That's a good question. I've never applied it to personal, <laughs> but now you've got me, now you got me thinking. I, I might have to David figure out. David Starr do does a really interesting thing with his family. They have like scrum boards and everything. It's quite yeah, crazy. Yeah, Kanban boards at people's homes as well. Well, where it's just like get your homework done, do your chores, and they see it move across their Kanban board. But um, I try to continuously deliver value in my personal life as well. Uh, I just need to figure out a way to automate it. <laughs> I think I think you need to build a generator so you can type in yo life. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Perfect. That might be pretty cool. That might be pretty cool. So Donovan, I have a question for you. You mentioned sure. Docker earlier, and um, myself along with a lot of other people are, are really impressed with the dedication that Microsoft has shown to the open source community, to Linux, Docker, and, and other things. How do you feel that TFS and VSTS fit into the future of DevOps, uh, besides being totally awesome, of course, right. uh, with that with that particular segment of the, of the population? With our new build system, being able to run natively on Mac, on Linux, and on Windows, I believe that we are going to play a huge role in that world. What we have to do now is get over the stigma that Visual Studio equals .NET. Um, and I literally, I, I spent a month. Hey, on, it, it, it doesn't yet, but it doesn't anymore, right? It, it, yes, we can do .NET, but we can do Java and we can do Node.js and we can do iOS and we can do Android Studio. We can do all of those languages, any language, any platform. Bring me a language and I will show you how we can store it inside team services, how we can build it with team service and how we can deploy it with team services. I don't care what language it is, nor do I care what platform it is. Clearly, I want you going to Azure. But if you insist on going to AWS or Blue Mix or Google's cloud, guess what? Our build system and our release system can get you there. If you insist on using GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket or Subversion, guess what? We can still get you there. If you want to target Android, iOS, Docker, Windows, Linux, Mac, I simply do not care. So in this open source world, I literally I'm sitting here in my office at home. I have a PC. I have a Linux machine behind me. I have a Mac mini on my desk and a MacBook Pro in my backpack. 
because all of the stuff that I work on works on all of these pieces of hardware and I have to go ahead and test on all of it, right? So I believe that with our adoption, with our we're platinum level status on Linux, we are a huge contributor to um, to Docker. We open source PowerShell. We open source .NET. I mean, it seems to be a new Microsoft and I love this new Microsoft. I, I joined right when Satya was taking over. So as a in blue badge, this is the only Microsoft I know. It's the Microsoft that insisted that I know how to do Linux. I installed Linux for the first time after I joined Microsoft. <laughs> like how weird is that, right? <laughs> I knew once I got my blue badge, I would never have to worry about another operating system ever. And now I have all of them. And it just like, it, sometimes I scratch my head. I'm like, where do I work? That I'm literally running on Linux machines more often than I do on, on Windows machines some days, uh, depending on what it is that I'm working on. So where do I believe that Microsoft is going to play in this open source world with the new mindset and the new direction that we have? I think we're going to play hugely because at Connect, the CEO of GitHub was on stage and acknowledged that the largest contributor to open source on the planet is Microsoft, right? And, and a decade ago, even five years ago, we would have thought that was just an uh, April Fool's joke, but it's a fact today. I was going to ask you, uh, who are you and what have you done with my Microsoft? Exactly. It's not your daddy's <laughs> Microsoft. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, listen, guys, Visual Studio does not equal .NET only. It equals developer. If you are a developer, there is a product that has Visual Studio in the name that is for you. Visual Studio Code, Visual Studio Team Services, Team Foundation Server. These products do not care what platform you're on. They do not care what language you program in, nor do they care what platform you're deploying to. They're here to help you. And that's what we're doing. We're doubling down on the word Visual Studio until everyone agrees that, yes, that's for me too. Because I can't tell you when I go in and I say I work for Microsoft and all the Java guys, their eyes start rolling. Like, this guy has nothing to say to me. And I'm like, nope, I have something to say to every developer in your company. And just let me show you real quick. And then they're like, I had no idea Microsoft could do what you're showing me. Well, when so you show I, them, just quick, sorry, when you show them things like ahead. as well, the IntelliJ integration, you know, that was huge. And obviously the Eclipse integration has been there been for there a while. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the uh, IntelliJ stuff and you just come in and, you know, and uh, there's a great video I think we've posted lately. We should put a link to it in the show notes. I'll find it and stick it in. Uh, and Jamie Cool did a, a, yep. a roundup of, of, of the I IntelliJ connect. integration. Yeah, it was really, it was, um, it's just, and, and you go to the Java developers and you're like, look, you don't need to learn anything new. You're using Git. Yeah, using IntelliJ, it's just you get to actually collaborate now. And yeah, you know, there's no point. Microsoft don't build collaboration products that exclude people because it turns out they're not very successful. So you have to to collaborate. You have to be able to work with everyone. And it turns out we're actually reasonably good at that sort of thing. So yeah. Right. And I've been telling a lot of people that too. It's like the day-to-day life of your developer will not change. Your Mm -hmm. bottom line will change because we don't charge you for private repos, right? So we're instantly going to give you money back, but your developer will not know the difference. It's a different URL to which they do their Git push and fetch and sync, but that's it, right? Everything else stays the same, no matter if they're, like you said, in IntelliJ or if they're in Eclipse or if they're in Visual Studio Code on a Mac or on Windows, their life is the same. It's just now you're being able to collaborate. You have a superior build system, um, an amazing release management system that is literally able to do anything that you can do from a command line on any platform. And it's it's just amazing what we're able to do today. And and what I love is that I have so many people come up to me and like, they literally say, I had no idea that you guys could do this. I really need to take a new fresh look at Microsoft. Uh, and that that's really rewarding when, when someone comes up to me. I, I had one guy say it the other day, he says, I hated Microsoft until about an hour ago. Right. <laughs> right. And when you, like, you started talking and, and I speak just like I'm speaking now, right. I just get all into it. I get all like, well, there's so much passion for development inside of me. And when it comes out, people are forced to listen. And they're like, holy crap. He literally said stuff that, that, that is 
it's important to me. And I cannot believe that he just did Java or Node.js on stage using all Microsoft. And it, it's a really powerful message. And I hope that people start to start to really listen to it. I'm looking forward to when people are not surprised about it. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. I was just saying. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Because it's just it drives me mad. I just like I just want to. It's like I, I love doing the demo where I just rock up on stage, demo like talking to Git and TFS on the Mac, doing some .NET development and you know whatever, or and, or do some Node development and deploy it, and then like sit down and don't even mention you know just and just drop the mic kind of thing. <laughs> don't even make a big deal I'm, I'm bored of people being surprised by it now right. let's move on so, sorry, yeah, so yeah i don't know so what i was thinking is you know just listen listening even to this podcast i'm, I'm picturing like you know average folks in it they're listening to radio tfs and they're thinking my gosh i'm hearing so much awesome stuff um, in terms of tools that Microsoft offers, cross-platform stuff, where where do you even start, right? So there's kind of a there's a there's a few different levels of where you're starting from. But like, think about someone who's literally like Eclipse and GitHub, right? And then maybe someone who's using VSTS, but just for source code and maybe build. Like, where do they begin, right? Because it's kind of overwhelming. Um, no, that's a that's a good point. Most people start with source control, as I'm sure you're aware, right? They were trying to get off of some old uh, antiquated version control system and they went to TFS and what's really sad is that that's all they used it for and I'm like do you have any idea of what what you actually have right you have source control you have work item tracking you have automated build and this was even back in the olden days before we had continuous delivery and all package management and all the great stuff we have today so what I noticed is that they normally start with our our source control. And then I normally see them go over to task first, right? Like they need a way to just track what they're going to be doing. And they, oh, I didn't realize I could just create task in here. And they're not even using the full agile planning, but they're creating tasks so that they can remind themselves of what to do. And then all of a sudden, someone will dip their toe into continuous integration. And now it's even easier than it used to be because we encourage you through the tool to go do that. Because you'll notice if you have a Git repo, there's a button that says you should be creating your build. And then we'll walk you through this wizard to create your build and things like that. So I've noticed that they usually start with source control and then they slowly start to see more and more of it. I'm hoping that the integration that we have in Visual Studio where you can right click and actually create a, com- a complete CI CD pipeline, tools like YoTFS and YoTeam that will create those pipelines for you will start to will make that that uh, discovery of what else you can do a lot quicker because it takes less of you looking around for it. it just we just build it for you and you'll start to see that value hopefully uh, uh, quicker. Yeah, and, I, and there's certainly, a, and maybe we can include, I, I feel like we're giving uh, Greg so many links to add to the end of this this podcast. But, <laughs> I mean, there's so much training out there, right? Like MSCN has walkthroughs, has hands-on labs. There's there's videos on YouTube that you've done that other people have done too. And sometimes yep. I think people forget that just going to YouTube and Googling like VSTS DevOps, they're probably going to find some really great stuff to get them kind of get them going. Yeah, and we have the MBA from Microsoft. So mba.microsoft.com has a lot of good stuff there. Channel 9 is an amazing resource, right? Just go to Channel 9 and type DevOps and you're going to get tons and tons of stuff. Stuff that I've done, David Tessar has done specifically on DevOps. So yeah, there's a lot of value out there or a lot of training that you can get for free, uh, but also consultants and and, uh, official training is always really good as well. So Josh, did you have another question? I know you had to run. Yes, indeed. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, what are some what are some good practices, or how do you entice operations to become a partner, not a blocker in the in the journey uh, to DevOps? 
Because I try to give them their job back is, is how I kind of approach it. Because their job was never to take a document and a binary and try to deploy it for me. Their job was to make sure that the networks were laid out right, that the hardware was the, what it was supposed to be. It was configured correctly. And the only reason that their job turned into take this binary and this document and deploy it was because when Donovan did it, then I would screw up the server and then they would get in trouble. And they're like, that's it, Donovan, you can't touch the server anymore. So now what I'm going to do is you're going to have to tell me how to install this stuff for you. And it would never work. And then this distrust trust started to build between dev and ops. So what I'm trying to do is teach them that, hey, look, I'm going to give you your job back. Instead of you having to manually deploy software and do what you're not, we're never hired to do, you can focus back on what you want to focus on, the hardware, the configurations, the networks, and the switches, and all that stuff that you geek out about. You can go back and focus on that because we're going to automatically deploy the software for you. But I have to make sure they understand that they're in full control of when and if that software gets deployed. A lot of people get worried that we're going to basically have this runaway train and that they were going to have no say in when bits move and don't move. And then we start teaching them about approvals and how those approvals are actually integrated into our system and how they're going to be the approvers who give the thumbs up or thumbs down before the code actually starts to move. Now, I've noticed that a lot of the ops guys seem to be hesitating. So what I'll do is I'll work with dev teams to make sure that we automate the deployment to dev and into integration and into staging and let them get that trust and show the ops guys how this works, even though they're still manually deploying it into production. And then when something wrong happens in production, I'm like, that's interesting because we automatically deployed it successfully in four different environments. But then when you manually deploy it into production, something happened. Hmm, I wonder how we can fix that. Maybe if you let us automatically deploy into that environment too, we could probably fix that problem for you. Now, I think another reason that ops people seem to hesitate is because I believe they have the most to learn to be a good citizen in the DevOps world. And what I mean by that is historically, CI is something that ops teams don't do. Uh, Source control is something that ops teams don't do. Normally, there's this master's thumb drive full of scripts that you know how to run and when to run to make magical things happen. But those aren't version controlled. They're not tested. They're not integrated into a CI system. You're not doing infrastructure as code. You're not doing configuration as code. There's all these new techniques that you have to learn, in my opinion, to be a good citizen from the operations side inside of this new DevOps world, which I think can sometimes be intimidating when we start talking about all this new stuff we have to learn. But if I can convince them that, trust me, the investment that you make in learning these new techniques are going to drastically pay more dividends than they're going to pay, uh, than they're going to cost you. And the consistency that you're going to have, the reliability that you're going to have, and the speed that you're going to have when it comes to deploying new software. So we're coming to, towards the end of the show, Donovan. Uh, is there anything that we should have asked you and we didn't? Um Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, no, I mean, we talked about the cross-platform nature of what we offer here. Um, we talked a little bit about what we believe the future of DevOps is going to be. And I just think, I, I said this um, not too long ago, that DevOps should not be something that you're debating in your organization. It should be something you're implementing. You either implement it or you lose. It's, it's, there's no debate on it. Um, your competition is already doing this. And if you don't get on board quickly, uh, you're going to be um, you're going to be obsolete. You're just going to be insignificant in the, in the world that we're moving towards. So get on board, start getting your ducks in a row and start building that pipeline and just get started, right? That's another thing that people need to do is, is don't try to build your entire DevOps pipeline tomorrow. Just find whatever hurts most in your organization, fix that one piece tomorrow. And a lot of people are like, well, Donovan, I got to go convince all my bosses of, of the right thing to do and get all this budget. I'm like, no, you don't. 
right? It does, as, as Martin just said, it took him 20 minutes to set up CI and CD. Do you really have to go ask your boss if you can take 20 minutes to set up a continuous integration build? Don't even go ask them. Just go do it. <laughs> Honestly, right? Why are you going to ask for permission to do the right thing? The right thing is to build a CI system. It takes 10 minutes. With Yoho VSTS, it takes four minutes. And you're going to go ask your boss if it's okay for you to go get your weekends back? That's ridiculous, right? Uh, how long is it going right to get thing. you to get to talk to your boss as well? Longer than Exactly. That. The amount of time it would take you to gather the evidence, get a meeting with your boss and try to convince them you'd be done already. Right. So just go do the right thing for your company. And oftentimes people already own this stuff, especially if they're using. Oh, my you know, God. If they have MSDN. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's like, you know, there's not you're not in a purchasing thing there. Just go use it. Just go use the features. So, Very good point. Donovan, how can people uh, find you? Uh, at Donovan Brown on Twitter is the number one way to get a hold of me. I answer a lot of questions there, and um, I have a lot of my followers answer questions there. So even if I can't get to the question, uh, a lot of my other followers do. So at Donovan Brown, I blog all the time at DonovanBrown.com. Um, and just follow me on Twitter, and you'll see where I'm going to be speaking, and, and come say hi. I had to say about your website, I love that you have a headshots and bio <laughs> <laughs> I get asked that all the time. Like, Donovan, we need a headshot and a bio for this conference. I'm like, and I have to go digging through my old emails. I'm like, screw this. I'm just going to have a page. You're a bio. You're a whole lot of headshots. Knock yourself out. That was awesome. I was like, wow. Cool. Um, so we're, we're, it's feedback time, and we have some feedback. Uh, Kenneth Sorensen sent us a cool email. Just wanted to drop you a quick mail saying, thanks for all the shows you've posted. This is to all the hosts. Uh, I've been a listener since show number one, and I can honestly say that this show is the top of my podcast list. Yay. Uh, yeah, I always I'm enjoy sure we'll a new fix that. show. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's not this show that changes his mind. <laughs> uh, and he always listens to us during his uh, morning commute. Uh, Kenneth, thank you very much. A- and he was one of the ones who caught the uh, Easter egg from – our last show. So uh, I, again, Kenneth, thank you for listening. If you guys want to send us an email or reach out to us, uh, RadioTFS at Outlook.com. We're on Twitter as well, at RadioTFS. We're on Facebook, slash RadioTFS. And remember, voicemail. If it's safe for work, we'll play it on the air. That way you can kind of come on and, and, and be a host. It's one four two five two three three eight three seven nine. 233 And uh, Donovan? Thank you so much for being on Oh, the my show. pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Angela and Josh, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having right. us. It was fun. Yep. Thanks a lot. And Martin, we hope to have you more on uh, shows more often this year. Indeed. Sounds good. All right. And uh, most of all, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.